sanctuary cities. Yeah, that's not exactly going the way that they expected. <laughs> January 6th committee destroys records. What? Mm-hmm. Almost half, if not more. And trying to discredit UFO whistleblowers. They will stop at nothing. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Happy Friday. Friday has begun. Yes, it feels good. This week has been weird. It just It's just been weird I, for reasons I can't even get into. It's been weird. You see my shirt there? Sanity is my shirt tonight which we will have none of on this show. Uh, right now, let's get you into our Miko update. Miko is our little three-and-a-half-plus-year-old Shiba Inu baby, and uh, she's doing great. She had quite an accomplishment today. She ate her whole lunch all by herself. Yes, she rarely does that. She must have been really hungry. I did put some treats in it. And uh, some leftover chicken. But anyway, she ate the whole thing, finished it up, licked the bowl clean, and she was so proud of herself. Uh, there she is uh, with that, look what I did, Daddy. And yes, a treat now is certainly in order. That's her little side-eye sort of glance going like, you are going to give me a treat now, right? <laughs> anyway, she did a great job. She finished her whole lunch all by herself without any hand-feeding or any crap like she usually gives me our miko update brought to you by barkbox.com hey your dog is special of course you love your dog to pieces and you will do anything to make it happy and one of the best ways i can think of to make it happy is with barkbox.com barkbox is a monthly subscription service every month delivered right to your house is a box full of themed toys treats and dog chew they're wonderful. This company is amazing. They have a 100% happiness guarantee. And every month inside that bark box, you will find two amazing toys, two bags of all natural treats and an all natural dog chew. Now, when you order, you can specify whether your dog is small, medium or large, and they'll adjust the treats and the toys accordingly. And also if your dog has any allergies, fish, chicken, seafood, beef, whatever it is, you let them know and they'll make sure that you don't get that in your BarkBox. If you use our special link, BarkBox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O, you will get a month free when you sign up for a multi-month subscription. That's $35 value. Wow. Good deal. Great treat for your dog and you know your dog deserves it. So check them out, BarkBox.com slash Miko. The link, as usual, is in our show notes. So, Sanctuary Cities, how's that going for you? Mm, you know, they were all hyped up. We're a sanctuary city. We're going to allow the, the illegal immigrants, or what do they call them? Uh, I don't know, whatever. They're illegal immigrants, uh, illegal aliens. Anyway, we're going to allow them to come in. We're going to protect them. They won't be subject to any of the laws, everything else. Well... That ain't going exactly the way they expected. Check this headline out from naturalnews.com. Hypocrite New York City Mayor Eric Adams has declared a state of emergency. <laughs> As uh, migrants bust from Texas flood the 
Sanctuary City. Well, New York, you voted for these idiots. Now, enjoy it. And I just saw a news article before I went on the air tonight that uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is sending another 30,000 illegals to various sanctuary cities across the U.S. Good on you, Governor Abbott. <laughs> There's the moron. Democrats for years claimed to be the party most welcoming to illegal aliens, creating sanctuaries for them in any city they run, shunning cooperation with federal immigration officials. Uh, that was once upon a time. Well, now, two years of suffering through migrant drug smuggling crisis, Republican governors and border states sharing the pain and putting the Democratic leaders' vows of we welcome the immigrants to the test. And they're failing the test. Late last month, community leaders of Ritzy Martha's Vineyard were outraged when Florida Governor DeSantis flew a group of about 50 migrants to the uber-wealthy, uber-liberal community. Democrats who run the community got rid of them in less than 48 hours. Uh, over the past several months, Greg Abbott from Texas, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, been busing migrants to the Big Apple by the thousands. And now the welcoming sanctuary cities have had enough. That didn't take long, did it? Adams, the mayor, uh, declared a state of emergency last week, began begging for federal assistance. Yeah, good luck with that. Adams said at least 17,000 asylum seekers have been bused to New York City from other parts of the country since April. <laughs> Just since April. Uh, claimed that many of the people didn't know where they were going when they boarded the buses, which is a lie, by the way. Uh, Abbott, Ducey, DeSantis have all proven that the migrants are informed of where they are going and volunteer to get on board the buses. So... He says it's a humanitarian crisis that started with violence and instability in South America, and it's being accelerated by American political dynamics. No, it's not. It's being accelerated because you decided to open up your city as a sanctuary city and invite them with open arms. Welcome them in. Yes, bring me your tired, your illegal aliens, your poor longing to be free. Uh-huh. That ain't exactly working out the way you thought perhaps that it would be, is it? <laughs> New York City cannot be saved. It's too late. Take a look at this. This is New York City. That is the streets of N. Y C, your favorite sanctuary city. Isn't that lovely? Look at that. How nice. This is a courtesy of Viral News NYC over on Twitter. Look at that. Unbelievable. And it just keeps going. It just keeps going block after block after block. 
Well, you asked for it, and you got it. Good and hard, as they say. And Massachusetts isn't doing much better. A new strategy... Oh, I love this one. You know, I kind of like this because I think, frankly, those liberal left-wing lunatics who voted in these morons into office ought to be the ones not just volunteering, but being required to adopt this policy. Check this out. The state of Massachusetts is asking locals to host unhoused migrant families as officials scramble to expand shelters. This is from WBUR.org. Oh, man, Massachusetts officials seeking residents who are willing to host newly arrived families in need of shelter. Host asked to provide a room or an apartment for a few days. You know it's going to be longer than that. Until longer-term accommodations can be arranged. A significant portion of the families in need of housing are new immigrants, many arriving in Boston having fled violence in Haiti, traveling through the other states before coming to Massachusetts. Let's see. You cross the border from Mexico into Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico. I'm pretty sure Massachusetts, check me if I'm right on this, I'm pretty sure Massachusetts is like about 2,000 plus miles away in the other direction. They didn't just arrive in Massachusetts like they came in on the Plymouth Rock. They were bussed there by Republican governors who said sanctuary cities, sanctuary states, if you want them, you take them. The host family model has historically been used to house refugees coming through State Department programs. In addition of this layer of adding host homes really seems to be because of the urgency and the current unmet needs. They can't handle it. They just simply cannot handle it. And yet, these are the states, these are the cities who all wanted to virtue signal and say, Oh, no, we're going to be a sanctuary city. We're going to let these people in. (laughs) Suffer. Deal with it. I couldn't be happier. You morons are getting exactly what you asked for. All right. I'll take a quick 60-second break here and let you know about one of our sponsors. That would be Blackout Coffee. The top link in our show notes, and yes, there is even a Dan Bongino blend there. Blackout Coffee is absolutely amazing. It is a blend of coffee that is made right here in America by folks who care about our American traditional family values. If you are tired of the same old monotonous liberal brands or the coffees brown water and tastes like crap well you want to check out blackout coffee founded on the principles of conservative values they believe in the importance of hard work personal responsibility family respect traditional american values the best small batch coffee you have ever tasted I'm a coffee drinker, been one all my life. I do at least four or five cups, if not more, a day. 
Mm, yeah, I know, but this stuff, wow. Over time, I've tried all kinds of different coffees, but I have never tried anything as amazing as this. Blackout coffee is incredible. Uh, specialty coffees grown at the perfect altitude, correct time of year, the best soil harvested at just the right time. They work with local American co-ops and farmers that grow this high-quality coffee, and they adopt a strict adherence to small batch roasting. It's roasted, packed, and shipped with lightning speed, usually 24 to 48 hours. It means you get the beans just days after they have been roasted. That combination of their premium coffee beans, high-quality roasted process, and immediate shipping gives you an elite coffee experience. And I'm telling you, this stuff is fantastic. Right now, use the uh, promo code J20 at checkout. Use our special link, which is in the show notes, right there at the top. Check out Blackout Coffee. Look, do yourself a favor. You don't have to go out and buy a whole carton or five, six bags if you want. Just buy yourself a bag of this coffee to give it a try. You will absolutely not be disappointed. This coffee is kick-ass amazing, and you're buying from a company that supports our traditional American values. That is just as important as a good cup of coffee. And use the code J20, J-A-Y-20 at checkout. You will get 20% off your first order. J20 is the code, J-A-Y-20 at checkout. 50% off your first order from Blackout Coffee. Thank you, Blackout Coffee, for helping to support the show. We are very proud to partner up with you. All right, are you ready for uh, the latest update on X? I know, I, I still feel weird calling it X, formerly known as Twitter. Well, they have, this is the weirdest story. I, I haven't seen any follow-up to it, but it's from reclaimthenet.org, a very reliable news site. X partners with a company tied to a group that blacklisted conservatives. Not kidding. In a turn of events that came under sharp criticism from free speech advocates and conservative watchdogs, social media firm X, once dubbed Twitter, uh, under the leadership of Elon Musk, is now found to be entangled in a binding alliance with IAS, which stands for Integral Ad Science, an ad verification conglomerate notorious for its alleged misinformation tracking discernible ties with the global disinformation index a UK based entity known to clandestinely provide advertisers with blacklists of right wing leaning websites with the intent of undercutting them financially in this move which was discovered in the Washington Examiner they first reported on it X appears in stark contrast to Elon's announcement and his advocacy for free speech rights. Worth recalling, Musk had previously disclosed documents pegged as the Twitter files from erstwhile Twitter head Jack Dorsey's regime that seemed to expose the social media giant's ploys in aligning with government bias and bodies aimed at hushing conservatives from online platforms. The decision to strengthen bonds with IAS 
stems from X's pressing need to reassure brand safety in the wake of plummeting advertising revenues. Now, I don't know if you saw this today. I did not get a link to this, but it's out there. You'll find it, Twitter, wherever. You know, uh, Elon's new uh, CEO of uh, Twitter, I forget what her name is. Anyway, she has come out with some sort of whack job video talking about things that are a little concerning regarding eliminating hate speech. You know, the usual crap. It all, it, it seems to be, she is just the opposite of what Elon has been pumping out there since he bought the platform. I'll follow up on this. We'll keep an eye on it. But it sounds like some very dangerous territory to be getting into with these people. I'm telling you. Hey, Technofog's got a great post, too. Uh, Technofog. <laughs> he put together a thread. I'm not going to read the whole thread. I put the link in our show notes so you can check it out. Please follow Technofog. Techno underscore fog. On, on X, Twitter, uh, because he does the most amazing research and puts that information out there. And when he posts it, you can believe it. He's posting here. Again, it's just a tweet. I'll show you it to you. We looked through the recent history of Judge Tanya Chutkan, who presides over Trump's D.C. criminal case. Our findings? She's treating Trump worse than other defendants, including... A meth dealer. Let me show you how. This past week, Judge Chutkin gave Trump's team one business day to respond to special counsel protective order. The court's local rules allow 14 days to respond. Trump's team asked for more time, citing the due process concerns, and she denied their extension request. She also set a hearing on the P.O. for August 11th. One week after the P.O. was submitted, a case involving millions of pages of documents and hundreds of witnesses. She denied Trump's request for a hearing date where both his lawyers could be present. This unfairly quick timeline is rather inconsistent with how this left-leaning moron judge has treated other defendants. Take a listen. In the Maria Butina case, Tutkin gave Butina one week to respond to a PO and set the hearing one month out. In the case of a DC meth dealer, Tutkin gave a one-week deadline to respond to the PO and set the hearing two weeks out after it was submitted. And yet, true to form, she's denying Trump all of his requests. That whole thread from Technofog is in our show notes. I encourage you to read it and get educated on exactly what these morons are up to. It is frightening. And it never stops. I'm not going to stop. Fight back. Little bits. Small bites. Take them. Seniors. Like me. 
on a fixed income, barely able to afford rent because of the rate of inflation, $32 trillion in debt, all-time record homelessness, 300 Americans dying every week because of Biden's pathetic border policies. And now he wants to send another $40 billion to these idiots in the Ukraine. $13 billion for Ukraine on defense side. $11 billion in econ humanitarian assistance. $4 billion for border migration fentanyl. $60 billion for wildland firefighter pay. $40 billion in supplemental funding. You happy with that? It's what you voted for. And so it's what you get. Good and hard. Very nice. All right. This is disturbing, to say the least. You heard about the uh, rather weird wildfires in Maui, in Hawaii. Just absolutely devastating. Now, there's been all kinds of tinfoil hat conspiracy theories, uh, energy weapons and all that other stuff. I Whatever. I'm not buying into that. But this, this is absolutely disturbing. These people were driving through these wildfires while they were happening. This video is not for the faint-hearted. You will see them going through, you see the smoke, you see all the flames. At one point, they drive past a woman laying in the road, looks unconscious just outside of a car. What would you naturally do? Stop and render assistance, of course. If it's too smoky in the area, stop, get out, get the woman in the back seat and keep going. That's not what happened. Take a look at this. There's some commentary, but look at that. It's frightening. Now you'll see at one point, the camera swings over to the side of the road and you'll see there you go, the car. And look at that. Look at that. There is a woman, obviously overcome by smoke. And what do they do? They just keep on driving. Folks, I, this floored me when I saw it. The link's in our show notes if you want to share it out there and show other people. It, why? Did they just drive past that woman? Barely conscious, if conscious at all, from the smoke. It would have taken, what, all of 60 seconds to grab her, stuff her in your car, and get her out of there and save her life? There's no follow-up to this. I looked all around. There's no other stories about it. I don't know who these people are but they seriously ought to be ashamed of themselves. That is disgusting. They just drive on. 
Have we reached that point where we just don't care about each other enough to save somebody's life when it would be so easy to do it? Sad times, my friends. Sad times. All right, this from Breitbart, and it's... <sighs> the January 6th committee, who was required to, in fact, were told, I think it was Jim Jordan, who said, you save all those records, you save all the transcript, you save all the tapes, all the recordings. Well, this popped. The January 6th committee destroyed records, videos, and basically violated President Trump's rights. There's the group of morons now. They defied a demand last year by incoming Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy that it preserve all of its records, evidence, transcripts, and they have allegedly destroyed much of what was collected over more than a year of investigation. He made that revelation, uh, Barry Laudermilk, to Fox News Digital Tuesday, also noted the committee had not looked into possible security lapses at the Capitol and that much of the material the committee did preserve was disorganized. He added the blue team was shut down before it could probe the issue of security lapses at the Capitol because the committee intended to blame former President Trump, who has since been indicted for allegedly inspiring the riot. But all of those materials, records, videos, that they were specifically told to save, they destroyed. And let me guess, there won't be a single criminal charge against any one of these people when they all ought to be charged. Frightening. Absolutely frightening. All right. We got more, a little bit more than we're going to get on with our book here. You know, the uh, UFO story, or UAP story, if you prefer, has really blown up, hit the news. We're not giving up on it. They're hoping it'll distract you. It's not distracting us, but we are going to keep following it. Trying to discredit the UFO whistleblower is sickening. Dave Grunch claimed the government has a UFO retrieval program. The Intercept published a story on Grush's health struggles. Representative Burchette says, I am so disgusted by this. One of the leading members of Congress trying to get to the bottom of the UFO mystery unfazed by a recent report about the mental health of one of the biggest whistleblowers on the subject. It doesn't matter, Tim Burchette said of the story. What matters is the fact that this man served his country, fought for it, and now we are stigmatizing this further. The story details how whistleblower David Grush 
an Air Force veteran, intelligence official, committed to a mental health facility after making a suicide statement. It was published Wednesday. The reporter who wrote the article, Ken Klippenstein, whatever, moron, said the records he received about Grosh were not confidential or medical. The UFO whistleblower is accusing me of using confidential medical records leaked to me by the intelligence community. Oh, really? Every part of that is false. I used publicly available police records I obtained under the Freedom of Information Act. Investigative journalist Russ, uh, Russ Colthart said Grush believes someone in the government may be responsible for releasing his health records to The Intercept in an effort to smear his credibility. Somebody told them where to look. He claims the government has secretly been in possession of non-human spacecraft, sparked international attention. Tuesday, he said in a statement to News Nation, he learned The Intercept intended to publish an article highlighting his struggles faced in the past with post-traumatic stress disorder, grief, and depression. So they are doing everything they can to discredit this guy. They won't stop unless you stop them. Contact your representatives. The link is always there in our show notes. Right after it says in today's show, and then there's all the hyperlinks that we have in our show today that we talk about, you will see one that is labeled contact your representative. Let them know. That's there for a reason. You click that link, it will take you to a government site where you put in your information, your zip code, whatever, and then it will tell you who represents you if you don't know. And it, the most important thing is it will give you their phone number, their email addresses, and their physical addresses if you want to write a letter. Most important thing of all you can do is write a letter. But if at the very least, drop an email, make a phone call, let people know you're sick and tired of this bullshit and you're not going to put up with it anymore, and that you vote, and you will be voting accordingly, and you will be watching what your representative does. Most important of all is that you do get out there and vote. They know if you voted or not. They have lists. They'll check them. If you vote and you call them or you email them, your comments matter. If you don't vote, why do they need to care about you? They don't. They just dust it off. Vote, vote, vote. Little bites. Take little bites. That's how we're going to win these battles and eventually win the war. One war that is not being won is by Disney. <laughs> they just never learn. Pure Evil. The latest Disney production. You ready for this? It is a cartoon about a girl who inherits a ritualistic, killing, blood-drinking cult from her father. I am absolutely not kidding. This is the latest Disney cartoon. A girl who inherits a ritualistic, blood-drinking cult 
from her father. Praise PD is set to premiere on Freeform with the first two episodes. Then two episodes will drop weekly following the premiere available on Hulu the next day. There you go. Take a look. A little blood drinking for you. Unbelievable. New Disney show about a girl who inherits a human-sacrificing blood-drinking cult whose logo has the all-seeing eye. Hmm. Nothing to see here. Shining. The goats are screaming. And I'm still here despite the fact that last night I witnessed someone get ritualistically murdered by my dad's cult that I just inherited. <laughs> oh, here we go. What the... I'm Petey. I had it all. Mother! Here. What's this? It's a message from your father. It's me, your father! The community of New Utopia is all yours. I just needed to figure out my place in my dead dad's weird town. Uh, I'm walking here. The great daughter! She's arrived! That's the latest from Disney for your kids. Cancel your Disney subscriptions, please. This is incredible. They just keep doing it. They will not stop. Unfreaking believable. You'd think they might have learned. Nope. Apparently not. Got another one. This is our last story before we head on to our book. Usually I end with something funny. This isn't funny. This is pathetic. This is child abuse. This woman needs to go to jail and she needs to have her children taken away from her. Immediately. A mom. I just, I can't, I can't even, this is from the New York Post. A mom has refused to get rid of her daughter's head lice because she's vegan. Let that sink in for a minute. Usually when your child gets head lice, and it happens, you desperately try everything you can to try and kill them ASAP. One Australian mom has the opposite approach. She doesn't want to harm the head lice at all. Her bizarre reasoning will leave you scratching your head, pun intended. According to a concerned parent who wrote an article and advice column, her neighbor won't treat her daughter's lice because she's vegan. And vegans don't kill living things. Can we get rid of that? She explains, my seven-year-old daughter is best friends with the girl next door, whose family are vegan, which is fine. We respect their choice. 
My problem is that recently their otherwise delightful child was at our house scratching furiously, and I discovered she was crawling with head lice. She told me she was in the practice of combing the lice and nits into the garden where they had the best chance of survival. And my jaw hit the floor. She then asked the advice columnist what she should do now. I don't want to separate the kids, but there's no way combing them into the garden is going to work. And I don't want my daughter covered in vermin. The agony aunt told the poster what she really thought, that the other mom was a sanctimonious twit. <laughs> she then on went to say that she was actually a monster who was condemning the nits to a slow and painful death as they wouldn't be able to survive in the garden. Then she jokingly advised the poster to take matters into her own hands and set up the bathroom to play hairdressers and remove the lice herself. Like I said, this mom needs to have her children taken away from her because she is abusing them in perhaps one of the worst ways possible. Unbelievable. I'm sorry, I didn't want to end on a down note, but that just pissed me off when I saw that. All right, let's move on to our book. We are so close to the end. I think we're going to wrap this thing up on Monday. After tonight's reading, we will probably hit the last bit of this uh, book, 1984, from George Orwell, coming up, I think, on Monday. Well, maybe Tuesday, but probably Monday. So anyway, yeah, we read books on this show. We've done children's classic literature, The Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, The Little Prince. We've done so many great books, Jungle Book. And then we switched gears a bit and started George Orwell's 1984, a long time ago. It's a long book. And so we'll continue on now. We're right nearing the very end of this. And uh, this is George Orwell's 1984. Something changed in the music that trickled from the telescreen. A cracked and jeering note, a yellow note, came into it. And then perhaps it was not happening. Perhaps... It was only a memory taking on the semblance of sound. A voice was singing. Under the spreading chestnut tree, I sold you and you sold me. The tears welled up in his eyes. A passing waiter noticed his glass was empty and came back with the gin bottle. He took up his glass and sniffed at it, the stuff grew not less but more horrible with every mouthful he drank. But it had become the element he swam in. It was his life, his death, and his resurrection. It was gin that sank him into a stupor every night, and gin revived him every morning. When he woke, seldom before 1100, with gummed-up eyelids and fiery mouth and a back that seemed to be broken, it would have been impossible even to rise from the horizontal if it had not been for the bottle and teacup placed beside the bed overnight. Through the midday hours he sat with glazed face, a bottle handy listening to the telescreens, 
From fifteen to closing time, he was a fixture at the chestnut tree. No one cared what he did any longer. No whistle woke him. No telescreen admonished him. Occasionally, perhaps, twice a week, he went to a dusty, forgotten-looking office in the Ministry of Truth, did a little work, or what was called work. He'd been appointed to a subcommittee of a subcommittee which had sprouted from one of the innumerable committees dealing with minor difficulties that arose in the compilation of the 11th edition of the New Speak Dictionary. They were engaged in producing something called an interim report, but what it was that they were reporting on, he'd never definitely found out. It was something to do with the question of whether commas should be placed inside brackets or outside. There were four others on the committee, all of them persons similar to himself. There were days when they assembled and then promptly dispersed again, frankly admitting to one another that there was not really anything to be done. But if there were other days when they settled down to their work almost eagerly, making a tremendous show of entering up their minutes and drafting long memoranda which were never finished, and when the arguments as to what they were supposedly arguing about grew extraordinarily involved and abstruse with subtle haggling over definitions, enormous digressions, quarrels, threats, even to the appeal to the higher authority. And then suddenly, the life would go out of them. They'd sit round the table looking at one another with extinct eyes, like ghosts fading at cockcrow. The telescreen was silent for a moment. Winston raised his head again. The bulletin! But no, they were merely changing the music. He had the map of Africa between his eyelids. The movement of the armies was a diagram, a black arrow tearing vertically southward, and a white arrow horizontally castward across the tail of the first. As though for reassurance, he looked up at the imper imperturbable face on the portrait. Was it conceivable that the second arrow did not even exist? His interest flagged again. He drank another mouthful of gin, picked up the white knight, and made a tentative move. Check. But it was evidently not the right move, because... Uncalled, a memory floated into his mind. He saw a candlelit room with a vast white counterpaned bed and himself, a boy of nine or ten, sitting on the floor, shaking a dice box and laughing excitedly. His mother was sitting opposite him and also laughing. It must have been about a month before she disappeared. It was a moment of reconciliation, when the nagging hunger in his belly was forgotten, and his earlier affection for her had temporarily revived. He remembered the day well, a 
pelting, drenching day when the water streamed down the window pane and the light outdoors was too dull to read by. The boredom of the two children in the dark, cramped bedroom became unbearable. Winston whined and grizzled and made futile demands for food, fretted about the room, pulling everything out of place and kicking the wainscoting until the neighbors banged on the wall while the younger child wailed intermittently. In the end, his mother said, Now be good, and I'll buy you a toy, a lovely toy. You'll love it. And then she'd gone out in the rain to a little general's shop, which was still sporadically open nearby, and came back with a cardboard box containing an outfit of snakes and ladders. He could still remember the smell of the damp cardboard. It was a miserable outfit. The board was cracked. The tiny wooden dice were so ill-cut they would hardly lie on their sides. Winston looked at the thing, sulkily and without interest. But then his mother lit a piece of candle, and they sat down on the floor to play. Soon he was wildly excited, shouting with laughter as the tiddlywinks climbed hopefully up the ladders, and then came slithering down the snakes again, almost to the starting point. They played eight games, winning four each. His tiny sister, too young to understand what the game was about, had sat propped up against a bolster, laughing because the others were laughing. For a whole afternoon, they had all been happy together, as in his earlier childhood. He pushed the picture out of his mind. It was a false memory. He was troubled by false memories occasionally. They didn't matter so long as one knew them for what they were. Some things had happened, others had not happened. He turned back to the chessboard, picked up the white knight again, and almost in the same instant it dropped onto the board with a clatter. He'd startled as though a pin had run into him. A shrill trumpet call had pierced the air. It was the bulletin. Victory! It always meant victory when a trumpet call preceded the news. A sort of electric drill ran through the café. Even the waiters had started and pricked up their ears. The trumpet call had let loose an enormous volume of noise. Already an excited voice was gabbling from the telescreen. But even as it started, it was almost drowned by a roar of cheering from outside. The news had run round the streets like magic. He could hear just enough of what was issuing from the telescreen to realize that it had all happened. As he had foreseen, a vast seaborne armada had secretly assembled a sudden blow on the enemy's rear the white arrow tearing across the tail of the black. Fragments of triumph phrases pushed themselves through the din. Vast strategic maneuver. Perfect coordination. Utter rout. Half a million prisoners. Complete demoralization. 
control of the whole of Africa, bring the war within measurable distance of its end victory, greatest victory in human history, victory, victory, victory. Under the table, Winston's feet made convulsive movements. He'd not stirred from his seat, but in his mind he was running, swiftly running. He was with the crowds outside, cheering himself deaf. He looked up again at the portrait of Big Brother, the colossus that bestrode the world, the rock against which the hordes of Asia dashed themselves in vain. He thought how ten minutes ago, yes, only ten minutes, there had still been equivocation in his heart as he wondered whether the news from the front would be of victory or defeat. Ah, it was more than a Eurasian army that had perished. Much had changed in him since the first day in the Ministry of Love, but the final, indispensable healing change had never happened until this moment. And that's where we will cut it off tonight. We will finish 1984 by George Orwell on Monday's edition of our show. Wow. What an amazing, amazing book. I can't wait to get to the end. Actually, I can wait. It'd be great if it just kept going. It's been fascinating and amazing how Orwell knew what we would be living in, kind of like right now. Hey, thanks so much for the week. Hey, just take a quick second, please, hit that follow button. It's right here, little green button. It says follow. Just give that a click. Really helps the show out a lot. It's free for you, costs you nothing, and we don't spam your inbox either. So just give us a follow. We really do appreciate that. Have yourself a great weekend. Spend it with some people you love if you can, and I will see you back here on Monday. Yeah.